This episode of the Edible Alpha podcast was recorded as part of Edible Alpha Live back in December. Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Paul. It's from your yellow kitchen. How are you? Yeah, I I was told that yellow uh, makes you digest your food better. Oh, is it working? Oh, yes. Oh, it is. Okay. Okay. So, um, gosh, it's so good to see you. And it's so good to have you on our show. People are going to really want to hear about this. So I want to go back to the beginning of Nyman because it's such a great story. And uh, the first time I met you, Paul, you know this, um, you told me we were in Kazakhstan. We were on a project yeah. Right. A, a USAID project in Kazakhstan. You were the pork farmer and I was the business planner. And you yeah. told me there's this guy named Bill Nyman in, in California who um, I just sent him some pork chops. And he said, you know, they were the best pork chops I've ever had. Right. And that that had to have been really close to the beginning of Nyman. Right. It was probably 94. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Bill. Bill Nyman had already uh, established a small meat business in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yep. But but I hadn't been part of it, uh, and, and you know, up until this time, till this beginning. Yeah. So you shipped out some pork chops, and he loved them. Then what happened? Okay. So uh, Tara, it, it wasn't like it just happened like that. I had probably been looking for maybe five years or maybe even longer to figure out how I could uh, possibly market free range, outdoor range, uh, pasture raised pork. Right. And um, I talked to a number of people and they, they said, well, we would, sure. We'd like to buy some pork chops. Right. And of course I wasn't raising pork chops. I'm raising pigs. Right. You know, it comes with all kinds of parts. Right. And, and so it took me uh uh, a, a while through a, a personal friend of mine to uh, was telling me about how she was marketing her lamb through uh, Bill Nyman in San Francisco and they were selling him into the restaurants. And, and I, I said, well, you know, we have to get together and meet. And we, we had uh, lunch the next day at a place called the burger joint. And I, I had the best hamburger I'd ever had in my life and uh, told him what I was doing. And he said, you know, send me out some uh, pork chops. And that brings us up to the point about the time I met you in Kazakhstan. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the reason that I was looking for something different was because CAFOs, as we um, commonly know here as factory farms, were moving in on us at a rapid rate. And we were told, um, you know, you got to get bigger or get out. And I went to a couple meetings and saw what what they were about, and there was nothing better about what they were doing than what I was doing. And I I, I went in and visited a building and inside, you know, and saw the pigs, and you know, realized that I was never going to raise livestock like that. Mm-hmm. And and then there was a time in here where I saw a, a woman in a store grocery store in San Francisco. I'm sure, I've told you many times, but she was buying an organic chicken. And paying three times the money, 
And I, I asked her, why did she uh, buy this uh, free range uh, organic chicken? Well, she said, well, it tastes better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, besides people like the fact that it was raised outdoors, but, but that, that were the, that was the kind of thinking process, thinking that what I had, what I was doing, cause I was raising around 3000 pigs a year outdoors, mm-hmm. pasture raised and, um, thinking that, uh, you know, maybe I was onto something. And, and, and so anyway, that, that initially it was, uh, doing a homework to figure out how does a live animal from your farm get to San Francisco? And I went to a packing plant and, uh, they were actually very helpful. And later on, I learned, I learned that they were, they just, they were in a bit of a lull in their business. Otherwise they may not have been so accommodating for me. But anyway, there's a, a little bit of luck involved in all these kind of things. Yeah. Um, the other part was that I had the right kind of genetics. I hadn't gone for the what they call the other white meat. Right. Which was lean, tough, dry, tasteless, awful pork. Right. And, and I had um, uh, farmer's hybrid genetics, which were uh, it's a breeding company that produced breeding stock. They were really suitable for outdoor production. And and had great eating quality. So those things were basically I could have had uh, the wrong genetics, but I didn't. So anyway, we shipped 30 pigs in February of 95. And in two weeks, they wanted 34 pigs. And, you know, uh, every week more and more. Initially, I, I supplied all all the pork to, to Bill Nyman. Uh, the company was called Nyman Shell at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so anyway, we went on like that. Within about a year or so, there were there were times that I didn't, you know, the demand started picking up. And there were times that, especially in the winter, in the middle of the summer, I was uh, short on my supply end. And I, I needed to look start looking for other farmers that were uh, farrowing pigs, birthing pigs in winter and summer. Bill also told me, he said, Paul, you, you can't have that. You have to have pigs all, all year round. A customer does not understand that, that it's a, you know, you want to tell them it's a seasonal thing. They're not going to get that. Right. So I had to modify my production system too, to, to try to step up to that. But anyway, it was somewhere in here. We decided, are we going to just you know, just a couple of us in here, or are we going to try to uh, develop a, a network of farmers, which I, I had kind of in the back of my mind in the first place, almost a co-op like, like a thing, but enough supply so we could really think about having a national brand. And um, so we, you know, as we continued to uh, grow, uh, the financing part became an important part of it. And I, uh, I came up with a, uh, you might call it a, a creative way of raising money for what became the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Let me just back up a little bit. First of all, uh, right, in, right from the beginning, I wanted to diversify or, you know, uh, make sure that, that everybody knew that what I was doing was, was as far away from confinement raising of pigs as you could get. In other words, uh, uh, we wanted some kind of animal. I wanted an animal welfare certification. Uh, eventually, we got to no antibiotics ever. 
we eventually came to a vegetarian diet, um, the, these kind of things. And so, Paul, I got to interrupt you a minute. Yeah. When you did the animal welfare thing, had anybody done that before when you did that? No. I no. didn't think so. I, like I, you're like this whole animal welfare thing that is so ingrained now in, in meat marketing. That was you who did that. Who created it, that? Yeah, it probably was. It, it was, yeah. Diane, Diane Halverson. And yeah. my, my farm was the first uh, farm certified in the United States for yeah. animal welfare. Yeah. And so anyway, and then Diane and I, we wrote the standards. Uh, she did most of it, but I had input as well. Yeah. And and they had a certain standards. and But it, the way I was raising pigs, it uh, it almost fit 100%. Uh, and uh, those are the standards that are very close to what are being used today, pr primarily for uh, animal welfare standards for pigs. Right. But anyway, these are all ways of di uh, distinguishing yourself. Uh, you know, one thing I knew, there's a couple things. First of all, you had to identify a market. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I mean, I live in Thornton, Iowa, and I could have tried this all day long. Uh, in my neighborhood and in, in Iowa, for that matter, and it never would have worked. You have to identify your market. And in that case, in that case at that time, it was a, a, a place that had a sense of food, mm -hmm. a sense of quality. Uh, and, of course, San Francisco was the ideal place. And also the other thing is I knew I couldn't do everything. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to meet Bill, who was doing the the, you know, the sales and the marketing and the further processing on that end. Uh, I knew how to raise pigs and I knew how to get them to, to the West Coast. But uh, mm -hmm. and I've seen other people get involved in these specialty markets and they try to do everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they run into trouble because they're, they're just certain things that they're not equipped to do. Right. Right. So, OK, so you created um, you created the Nine Ranch Pork Company, and it's not a co-op. You did something really creative with an LLC. Why did you do that instead of a co-op? <clears throat> okay, so uh, for one thing, yeah, part of the sustainability uh, for a farmer is you have to be able to make some money. Yeah. And right from the beginning, uh, and this was, uh, I'll never forget this, Bill Nyman, he said, he asked me, he said, well, what, what do you want for your pigs? Uh huh. Well, I mean, I'd sold a lot of pigs up to that time. Nobody ever asked me that question. <laughs> right. They gave you a price. You call right? up the buyer and ask, what, what will you give me? Right, right. So I knew from that point I was not in the commodity world anymore. And I, I gave a price which was uh, at the high end of what a, what a hog would bring at the, in those days, yeah. you know. And, and Bill was totally fine with that. And and then uh, we uh, agreed that whatever the market was, it w the the Nyman price would always be uh, six cents over the market. Mm -hmm. In other words, if the market got really high and went up, our price would go up uh, and, and stay the best price. We would always be paying the best price. Mm -hmm. And if it went down, there would be a floor. We would only go to a certain lower level. And we got to the we got to 1998 when when pigs went to eight cents a pound. That was the commodity price mm -hmm. for a live pig. Can you imagine? Right. Twenty yeah, dollars for a full size hog. Yeah. Uh, we paid uh, uh, like forty five cents a pound, forty three right. and a half actually. But but that was a 
that was a profitable price for mm -hmm. farmers at the time. So the question about the LLC as opposed mm -hmm. to a co-op, I actually had both. I had a co-op uh, and an LLC for a little while. Uh -huh. um, I decided to uh, uh, do away with the co-op because it was cumbersome. Mm -hmm. and, and in the beginning stages of the business, you needed to really act quickly, make mm -hmm. decisions. Uh, it, it was awkward to try to pull a board together and vote and this and that. The LLC, it was uh, Nyman Ranch Pork Company, LLC. And what we did to raise money, um, I just want to get into this a little bit, was we we're paying yeah. farmers this premium. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were withholding uh, a penny a pound. In other words, uh, about $2.50 per animal. Mm -hmm. And that money was put into an account for the farmer and became stock in the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. And this was money that we used to buy our own pigs with. We did get a loan, a forgivable loan from the Iowa Department of Economic Development. And uh, it was a forgivable loan. We had to buy 300 pigs three weeks in a row and we had three years to do it. We actually did it in a couple months. Yeah. Uh, things were, were growing quickly. Um, we had a couple big milestones, big, you know, uh, we made the decision to start to sell the whole foods. Mm -hmm. And we went from 300 head a week to 800 head. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, this was great news, but it was also a, a difficult situation because Whole Foods was a loin customer. They bought pork chops, but they weren't buying the end meats, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, you know, in the beginning stages, and I think anybody selling livestock always has this problem of marketing the entire carcass. Yeah. And this was, this was a big uh, obstacle to overcome. But we were, you know, little by little, we were able to do it. And Chipotle Mexican Grill started buying from us and they were buying, um, you know, shoulder and some of the rear leg and so on. And they helped a lot with that balance mm -hmm. of carcass. There were certain things as I was hearing, as I was listening to various people. Yeah. Everybody was doing something unique. Yeah. Capitalization is always, always difficult, always a problem. We, uh, once we were starting to raise our own capital and we got this forgivable loan from the Department of Economic Development, we were kind of off to the races a little bit. Yeah. And we were able to leverage that with a bank and get a million dollar line of credit. Right. And that, you know, we had to pay it back, but, you know, it it was very useful at the time. So we continued to uh, add to that fund with this penny a pound. The company was owned 50% by the farmers. So me as a farmer, every time I'd put in a penny, Nyman Ranch Inc. would put in a penny. <laughs> and so the stock was 50% Nyman Ranch Inc., 50% farmers, farmer owned. So it it, uh, it got to be a couple million dollars, and um, I don't know anybody else that really has done this kind of a business structure to raise. Yeah, capital. well, and it raised capital at a time where it's really hard. And and the other thing that's interesting to me about this is so Nyman Ranch Inc. So that's you know Bill was over in Nyman Ranch. Yeah. Um, you know, you were funding basically working capital for for. So yeah, the time between you slaughter an animal and you have to pay a farmer to the time you get paid for it, right? Which every yeah. 
every meat person goes through, right? That's what you were funding. We paid Nyman Ranch uh, pork, co pork company, paid our mm -hmm. farmers within 24 hours, according mm -hmm. to packers and stockyards. And then we turned around and we billed Nyman Ranch Inc. So we had mm -hmm. big, big accounts receivable. Right. But we had money coming in every week. So we had enough to, money to buy pigs right. and pay our farmers right. in a timely way. Right. Which and that was by brilliant. Law, you have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was brilliant. And then on the other side, Bill is in San Francisco, the home of Silicon Valley, and he was raising money from um, impact investors there. So people who were right in the brand company was raising equity at the time. Right. That's right. I had a I had a dinner with a, a gentleman that that uh, started Skya Vodka. Uh huh. You know, <laughs> and uh, he uh, had dinner and had a good time and wrote a big check. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah this that, kind of stuff that would never happen in Thornton, Iowa, right? No. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. Not right. in not in that kind of volumes of money. Yeah. But and, and so over the years, I've feed I've seen uh, four different ownerships mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Bill and his original partners were bought out by a venture capital group. Right. And then, then an additional venture capital group, natural foods holding came in, mm -hmm. they bought Supreme pack, mm -hmm. which, which is was your, was your processor, right? Uh, they were our processor and they are, yeah. they're a processor yet today. Mm -hmm. um, and when I took those first 30 pigs, into Supreme Pack, you know, I never imagined that we'd be their largest customer. Yeah, and then actually something? own them, and then eventually grow up to own them. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? And 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 then now everybody. Well, it sounds like that would have been true then. Under normal circumstances, you would have had a hard time getting processing at the time too, right? It sounds like. Well, uh, I mean, once I was established, right. Uh, we were, we were, you know, and it and became we, the biggest. We we became an important customer, and they, they like uh, uh, some other businesses were, they were not able to compete to the with the gigantic uh, thirty two thousand pig a day, Smithfield plants and places like that, you know. Right. Um, and so they, they as a packing plant as a business turned to specialty specialty kinds of things like we were doing. Right. And that really turned out to be their salvation. Mm -hmm. They're doing very unique cutting and very, you know, quality types of things. And they're getting paid for that as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, so, and in the beginning, because you had that great relationship, your Nyman didn't need to own its own processing, but somewhere. So, but along the way, the decision was made it sound, um, to purchase Supreme, right? Well, natural foods holding, Purchased Supreme, mm -hmm. from, and it was a, it was at that time held by the Iowa Finance Corporation, which mm -hmm. was a state fund, and um, that's an old, another story about how Supreme right. got to that point. But but anyway, then uh, they bought that out, and then Purdue Foods, which mm -hmm. is the chicken company, mm -hmm. uh, bought out Nyman Ranch and. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and natural foods holding and, you know, all of that uh, about three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize this, Tara, at, at the time, yeah. the difference between uh, a family-owned company. Mm -hmm. Purdue is a family-owned company, and therefore you can 
you can think about long term uh, long term goals mm -hmm. and growth and things like that a little bit more than if you're for your a publicly traded company that's going quarter to quarter. Right. Right. And the and what I what I love about this and what I think people um, hear that, like, oh, my God, the company was bought. Like, that happened to me. And people around the Midwest were like, are you okay? You know, because they think, oh, my God, what a disaster, right? And, mm -hmm. it's, and it's change and it's different. But you're still with the company, right? You've been there yeah, the whole I'm the, time. I'm the director. I've, I've, you know, I wanted to stick it out. Yeah. I, I do enjoy it. And, and honestly, we've had a uh, – the Nyman – Nyman Ranch has had an impact on Purdue from an animal That's welfare awesome. standpoint, from, um, you know, I have a farmer uh, advisory board, things like that. And I said, oh, that's mm -hmm. interesting. We should do that. And now yeah. they have a whole bunch of those. Yeah. You know, so, and it's been, and they brought in, um, uh, you know, uh, they had a conference and brought in various animal welfare groups and sat down. These are, these are groups of, you know, big chicken and animal yeah. welfare groups sitting down at the table and having great discussions. It, it, was, it was terrific. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And and they're, I mean, I guess the, you know, what people, the, the phrase is they're leaving you alone, like they're letting Nyman be Nyman. Yeah, we, uh, the integrity of everything that we do is is 100% intact. Mm -hmm. And it's even better because we have some money to like, we, yeah. we've upgraded the packing plant, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's been good. And the yeah. stability, uh, a lot of planning was gone into that packing plant back in February when COVID first came on the scene. Right, right. You know, like, what are we going to do? What do you do when 50% of the people can't come to work? Things like this. Right. And it was the last plant in the state to have anybody come down with COVID. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did everything to put partitions in, masks, all the uh, PPE, what is the, the protective PPE, PPE and sent, mm -hmm. paid people extra money so they could buy uh, masks and sanitizers mm -hmm. and all kinds of things to take home, you know. So. Right, because you have to, so, you know, in some ways it's easy to do the right thing when people are at work, but then they have to go home, right? Yeah, yeah, That's, that was uh, recognized that they're probably safer at work than they were at home. Yeah, especially people ride together and go to work mm -hmm. and things. Mm -hmm. But a, a lot was done to protect people in those difficult positions and so forth. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how many farms do you work with now? Okay, this is something uh, that uh, I guess I'm proud of in the fact that uh, um, we have. Uh, 750 farmers and ranchers, mm -hmm. 750, uh, 600 of those roughly are hog farmers, mm -hmm. the rest are beef and lamb. Mm -hmm. And I saw Cody Heimke, who runs our land pro lamb program, is on this call someplace. Mm -hmm. Cool. Stoughton, Wisconsin. <laughs> cool. So we continue to grow. We've, uh, one of the, one of the uh, I think, important st uh, statistics for us is that our farmer's average age is 42. Wow, that's incredible. For anybody on the, on this call who doesn't know that, um, I think the average age of a farmer in, the, in our country is over 60, right? Something like that. Yeah, 59 and a half. Could 59 be and a half, yeah. Something, yeah, right around 60 right. years old. Yeah. And we have all kinds of incentives. We've actually had free breeding stock for young farmers beginning to start with us. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting going, and I did it myself uh, with basically with with just a, a handful of pigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you're trying to grow your herd and collect breeding stock or save breeding stock, and and you don't have anything to sell, so that makes it difficult because right. cash flow. Right. So these are the kind of things. Um, we also have a scholarship program for our farmers' kids, mm-hmm. um, and to try to help people to get through college or get further education without debt. Mm -hmm. And we've had many people come out of that. And we're particularly the people interested in the people, all, all people, but the people that are going to come back and uh, be, you know, participate on the farm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So what happened to the farmer ownership is um, when the company sold? Well, we, we, uh, we had, uh, Purdue had enough money. We didn't need to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we paid every penny back that we still had, uh, was, were holding. That was uh, mm-hmm. equity that the farmers had um, as, as capital they contributed. Mm-hmm. We just sent everybody a check. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, so they, they didn't earn any interest on that money, uh, but they didn't lose a penny. Mm-hmm. No. And they got that premium the whole time, right? The whole time they've been yeah, shipping, yeah, right? right? Yeah. And yeah. Last year, and our our price is based on the cost of feed. Mm-hmm. And last year, our uh, our premium that our farmers got for raising pigs mm-hmm. was uh, was a hundred percent. Wow. Twice twice what commodity was paying. Wow. And so do you have too many people yeah. wanting to supply you or is that not a problem? Well, we have, we're all, we're always looking for, for new people. Okay. And uh, we have Pharaoh to Pharaoh to finish. We have some people raising feeder pigs. We have mm-hmm. some people that take feeder pigs and raise them to finish. And, you know, but they all have to meet the Nyman protocol all the way from one end to the other. So the Nyman, that's another thing that about the Nyman, I think you were first, like one of, you know, like you were, you would audit a farm for their humane practices and genetics and that kind of thing, but also for eating quality, right? Yeah, we still do, uh, as farmers sell hogs every week, uh-huh. we, pull, we pull samples and we do mm-hmm. tests. There's a, there's a series of tests that relates to the eating quality. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a very important criteria uh, mm-hmm. for what we do. Um, our our business has been uh, food service, restaurants, and of course, mm-hmm. with COVID and everything, just as other people have, have experienced, that, that business has been very uh, damaged through this whole process. Right. I think I saw 95% off, and I, I talked to distributors that when this happened, and they're the, the companies that that supply restaurants, their business was off 90% in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. And they've come back some. And, but um, also our retail business just skyrocketed during this period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, people discovered that room in the house with the pots and pans. Right. That they um, haven't been in for all years. The, right. The kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you have to shift gears and be mm-hmm. very nimble. Uh, you know, uh, m- most people don't want a five-pound uh, slab of bacon, you know, for right. their home use, uh, which was a restaurant product. Sure. For 
you know. Sure. So you've been pivoting. So um, to, yeah, as as COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you see for the future for your business? Well, there's always challenges. Uh, right now, in the immediate future, we see an increase in feed prices. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if we have increase in feed prices, then we have to look at how we're paying our farmers because that's right. one of our major costs. But, but the long term is that we, we think there's any 10 or 15 percent growth per year. Awesome. And that's because consumers are recognizing the value of what you do, right? Yeah, and that, and that was something that came through on almost everybody that spoke today. Yeah. They have something unique. People uh, want to know about their food, whatever, if it's a bean or an apple mm-hmm. or pork or whatever. How is it raised? Where is it from? And, you know, and who are these people that do this? Yeah. It, you know, people really like meeting a farmer. And <laughs> I probably told you this, Tara, when I, uh, I went to a dinner mm-hmm. in Berkeley. Uh, this was a number of years ago. It was the first farmer appreciation dinner but i was the only farmer there yeah california and um marcia mcbride was the owner and the chef i said what are all these people lined up for and they Mm -hmm. said they want to meet you they've never met a farmer (laughs) wow isn't that crazy and you're the only farmer i know who knows steve ells and david chang and um, you're like a super celebrity farmer you're not just any old farmer anymore well, you know david chang won a million dollars the other day and he gave i it. know i saw that i sent him a text uh-huh yeah <laughs> so is he going to share some of that with us yeah <laughs> yeah. No, yeah you have to i know have- i get it He's and he's doing the right thing with it. I read that he's sharing I, it with other restaurants. Honestly, right? when I started this, I had no idea. Yeah, and, of course you, you know did. But it's one thing has led to another, and it's it relates to. Uh, it could be like I heard the Audubon Society, right. uh, various environmental groups, carbon sequestration, climate change, chefs, animal welfare. Uh, it food touches a lot of a lot of things doing it the right way is i think people are getting it yeah taking a while to get there but yeah so we're we're not going to let you retire you you're another one who gets to perpetually (laughs) fail at retirement because you're you're still making such a big impact in what you do what the world is a better place because paul willis is in it so i want to open this up sarah do we have any questions for paul we do. And please, um, folks, drop them in while we have them here. As Tara said, this is a great opportunity. Um, first, I'll say we just have some just recognition and appreciation, Paul, for 100% premium to farmers. And just, wow, that being amazing and fantastic that you guys are are able to do that. Um, so just want to, you know, acknowledge the echoes from the room on that uh, for you and for Nyman. Um, we do have a question about um, how has the pay price to farmers and the stock program held up? through the different owners. You know, I've been insistent as we've, that's part of the reason I've stayed with the company is to maintain the, uh, the you know, the, what we're about. And one of them is paying farmers a fair price. And so that, that has, that has stayed true. It might even be better than it was in the very beginning stages when, you know, we were trying to make sure that Nyman Ranch would succeed at the same time, you know, but, but that's, that's intact. One of the things I'm, while I'm thinking about it is a, uh, I got my little box full of uh, all kinds of uh, interesting things. 
from edible alpha. Yep. And but I wanted to point out there's a there's something called tanka in there, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it's a it's a bison pemmican snack bar, and uh, we've partnered with with this company, and they're in Pine Ridge, uh, South Dakota, and um, helping them with marketing and some of these things. But but anyway, they we just saw a need there, and it was it was something we like their values, and and we've been working with them. That's awesome. Any other questions, Sarah? Yeah, we we have one here from Kayla. Looking back on the business over the years, are there any vulnerable moments in which you were lucky or things could have gone wrong or things you would have done differently? Well, there were a lot of times we didn't have enough hogs. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was dra- dramatically low as to what we, you know, and people are what you know? What do you mean you don't have any hog? Well, you you know you have protocol and so on. You you have to you have to think more than a year ahead of time to get these things. So leveling out the supply over the years was always a stressful kind of a uh, uh, just a thing. And in the beginning, I was a manager of all of that stuff, and and you know those are the kind of things that kept me up at night. Mm-hmm. We eventually got those type of things solved that was one of them that comes to mind that was it that was stressful you're balancing your supply and your demand or even sometimes having more pigs than you knew what to do with and you couldn't buy everybody's livestock you know and the price differentiation from what we were paying to what people would get on the open market um you know especially back in the time of eight cent pigs when we could only buy a small portion of the pigs was it was heartbreaking honestly mm-hmm. well you have an inspiration and we you know love hearing your journey and story i'm curious who might have been um key to your growth and inspirational to you as you were starting to raise pigs and you know develop nyman um anybody stand out or any books that were inspirational or things that really helped shape where uh, you come? well you know i i learned to raise pigs like this growing up. I was a farm kid, mm-hmm. you know, and I had chores to do and get on your bicycle and go out to the field because the pigs were in the field and see if you had any new baby pigs and, you know, and check the waters, the feeders, things like that. And I, I'd been away from the farm, in, I don't know, 12, 13 years before I came back to the farm and the farm needed some help. And, um, you know, I, I, I started raising pigs, but I have to give credit to my family kind of mm-hmm. teaching me about those things. The idea of, you know, creating a national market, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to Bill Nyman. Mm-hmm. You know, we were uh, we were kindred spirits on this. Uh, Rob Hurlbutt was one of the he was a young guy, uh, but he was visionary. He was kind of a marketing genius. Mm-hmm. There are people like that. And there were people along the way that uh, raised my awareness of the environmental issues. Uh, On my farm, I have, uh, you know, I have one whole entire farm that's uh, converted to native prairie and is in the wetland reserve. And I think, you know, and those kind of things are important as as part of the farming. It's more than just about uh, row crops or corn and soybeans or, you know, so, so these, these kind of like, uh, ecosystems that uh, when you when you see pigs on the pasture, you really see an ecosystem as opposed to 
to animals in a concrete, uh, you know, CAFO or something like that. You're, you're, you know, you distance a long ways from what the, the natural inclinations of the animal really are. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Paul. If anyone else, we can, we have time for one more question. If anyone wants to chime in, we do have some shout outs to some folks who may or may not have already eaten the Tinka bar. Um, <laughs> and well, just verifying that it's delicious. So, <laughs> so, so I have I a question. Jared Johnson is highly influential. <laughs> well, so, so I have, I guess I have one last question then. So um, have we missed anything that you want to tell people? I want to congratulate you and everybody else for putting together this really group, wonderful group of people that are all doing very interesting things. I, I, I personally want to go to each one of these places. Seriously, right? It's, it's inspiring. And, it, and it, uh, these are the things that add color to the rural environment, to add mm -hmm. depth and and. Um, we need more of it. Totally. We need more of it. And I, you know, I'm a, I tell people I'm a bit of a recovered entrepreneur, but I'm not entirely recovered. Right. So cre I'm creating new things all the time. And I, I love working with these companies and these farms because they're our future, right? They're, they're the, the ones who are going to carry the torch forward. Um, and in the meantime, I don't get to retire and you don't get to retire because the world still needs us, right? There's a couple of things that, that uh, were exciting to me. Two or three years ago, I went to Sitka, Alaska, salmon fishing. Yeah. And the most exciting thing was I went in a grocery store in Sitka, Alaska, and there's a Nyman Ranch product. <laughs> It is a weird thing, right? When you do a national brand, that happens to me too. I'm like, whoa, yeah. it's here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. All right, I'm going to invite Sean from Honest Bison to um, kind of good pop in here and, and ask ask his question. All right, thank you so much. So th thank you, Paul, for for sharing all this um, your amazing story. the the the, what, the question I have is around you. You're creating meat. That that is a uh, premium by by the, the its production methods, etc. Right, and so so that created the brand, but lots of genetics and the animal welfare and the production. Right, yeah. right. Like you, you like you lined up the the all the quality um, factors and and you did that. The 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 part that I, but but you guys were doing this kind of before the uh, branding. What was even in food? And and I'll tell you an experience that I had in, in 2013 when when the honest bison was just an idea and I was running around and networking and, and, and learning from people, I, I got a, I got a, I actually won it at a hackathon. I got like a three hour mentorship with, with Stephen McDonald, who founded Applegate farms. Wow. And uh, so, so he's done all right. Right. So I'm listening to him and, and he tells me, he said, I tell him what I want to do. Like, Hey, this is a, uh, this is going to be the best bison meat, blah, blah, blah. All right. And he's like, so, here, here's what's going to be super hard, and I don't think you can do it, is you can't create a brand out of a, a basically a whole uh, muscle cut, right? He, he believed, and again, this is coming from the sausage maker from Applegate, right? It needs the brand, needs to have its recipe, right? And, and your intellectual property, if you will, like you got to buy his sausage that has Applegate, right? You're not going to, it's not just any sausage. It's Applegate, right? But you guys did it 
with uh, whole muscle cuts. It's like, no, this is Nyman Ranch. Oh, oh, do you want bacon? Oh. Great, there's the there's the Nyman Ranch bacon. Oh, the, oh, the, there's the loin, right? There's the uh, beef. So, so to me, and, and you guys are way ahead before a whole bunch of innovators in brand marketing said, I can stick a brand on that. I can stick a brand on that, right? And, and, and. So the, was, was there some vision there that, that, that knew that was coming or was there a, sig- a market signal? Because um, I am fascinated because this is my challenge. Sometimes I talk to investors and say, you can't, or, or a perception of bankers, you can't make a brand out of uh, what is perceived as a commodity. I believe otherwise, you've proved otherwise. So, so I, I just wanted to maybe ask an insight around that. Well, I think the, the key is to separate yourself from, from the commodity world. And, and it could be in your, your animal welfare and uh, you know, how you raise your animals, but in the eating quality. Um, in, uh, on the pork side, what we have in, in commodity is dramatically different. It, it's from absolutely great to really terrible, <laughs> yeah, you know, from an eating standpoint. And and we're talking about a pork chop here, not a sausage or anything that you could, you know, somehow disguise a bit. It's, you know, it's basics. I, and, and we've uh, right from the beginning, we've, we've paid a lot of attention to this before anybody could become a Nyman farmer. They used to have to send me some, center cut pork chops and we actually put them in a cast iron frying pan and heated them to 160 degrees and cut out a piece and ate it and if it if it was good they were good to go if it wasn't they had to go back to the drawing board and it usually was a genetic issue that that's amazing that's it's it uh like the process really started uh at at the ground at the, at the animal level and and th- and then you let the let the product uh go from yeah, there we, we didn't lose lose sight of the of the goal which is to have the best eating products you know the way we say we have the best eating best tasting meat in the world and i'm sure your bison is wonderful as well well i'll let you be the judge of that you'll i'll have to get your address and i'll, I'll send you some <laughs> thank you and again. elk and venison too yeah yep yep and elk and venison too Awesome. So, all right. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. I mean, thank you for today. Thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for keeping up the good work um, because the world still needs you. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. To watch the video of this interview and check out other bonus content, find us on YouTube and Facebook.